Hi folks, uh, welcome to this uh, wonderful impromptu interview that I'm going to be doing with Andy No and Peter Bogosian to uh, Portland Exiles. So uh, I suppose we'll be talking about Portland. Um, right, so just as a quick thing, are you both Portland born and bred, are you? I'm not. I am. Y right. You are. Okay. Am. No, I moved there in 99. Right. So you've been there for a long time. Yeah, and it was a fantastic city. It was a very livable, clean, safe, wonderful city. I mean, when I when I visited in 2017, yeah. it was a clean, safe, yeah. very middle and class. lived with me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, was, it was a wonderful place. Yeah. And I was very impressed. And so, and it, to be honest, there was a part of me that was like, I'm not surprised these guys have got quite far left eccentric luxury beliefs um but uh man it seems that it really has gone downhill in the last couple of years yes uh that stems a lot from the riots of 2020 mm -hmm. that really brought in a whole number of like consequences way beyond the way beyond the riots the riots have they ended in after yeah. like seven months I mean, that's a long time. It is very long. It was like 100 straight days of rising, wasn't it? 120 straight days, yeah. and then it became about twice weekly, then once a week, <laughs> then monthly, until it trailed off. This so, was like a festival. Yeah, it, yeah it, but it, it was It deadly. wasn't just the, yeah. the riots. I, I would argue that it was the response to the riots. Yeah. That's, I would say that's more accurate. Okay, yes. and tell us about the response, because I assume it was just generally permissive. Well, let me rephrase. It wasn't just about the riots. It was about the lack of response to go. the riots. Yeah, so I was there uh, undercover at that time. I was gathering uh, observations for my book, uh, Unmasked, which I've mm -hmm. talked about on your show uh, in 2021. The, the response, though, was, from the local government was to completely enable and to legitimize those actions. The long consequences, there are a few, I would say. One, it helped normalize a culture of just criminality in public. Mm, exactly. And then on top of that, you had many, many police officers who resigned or transferred to other agencies because Portland became such a hostile place for police. So even when after the whole defund the police thing happened and then they were refunded, mm. the damage was already done. The money is there, but law enforcement recruits are not willing to apply in Portland for many, many reasons. And so with that, you have really excessive wait times for emergency 911 phone calls and short basically of a life or death situation you are really not going to get a police response so all the things around, around robberies thefts street violence you're not going to get a police response hmm. and with that and just a permissive environment politically for lawlessness and we had an explosion of homeless encampments which mm. ebbs and flows but from 2020 till now it i i i think it's probably the worst it's ever mm. been in portland i i think in the last uh eight months or so it's not been as bad the city is along with some rich donors have started initiatives to clean up the city i've often wondered uh, so the mayor is unbelievably unpopular and yes. someone the the the, the mayor uh, a woman named Sarah Irioni. Do you remember her? Yeah, she, I, I believe she put ABD PhD in her 
all but dissertation does not make you have a PhD. So Sarah Inaroni was the uh, a communist woman who ran against Ted Wheeler in 2020. She's yes. the one who wore the Maoist skirt. C C you remember that? Exactly. Yes, that's yeah. correct. Por that's Portland, correct. Portland for me is something of a fascinating case study. Because I, I, I remember very clearly in 2017, 2018, when Ted Wheeler was trying to court Antifa. Yeah, he him. He was he was trying to speak at their rallies, and they ended up booing him out, shaming him out, and then setting his apartment on fire. Yeah, his his apartment in in the Pearl District, and the consequence of that is he went to his million dollar home in in the Northwest. Right. We don't know where he is now, but he left well, the, the, before once they set his the lobby of his building on fire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, so th there is something. It was Antifa who did that, by the way. Yeah, there, the there's something right. very s symbolic in that, right? Yeah, yeah. like that. Here's here's a uh, the left wing facilitator of the communist revolutionaries tries to ingratiate himself with the communist revolutionaries and then gets violently chased out of his own city. There's something very symbolic. Yeah, about and this. I, I think that the mistake, the larger lesson here, I think the mistake is that many either on the left or people who would self-describe them as centrist mm. believe that there can be some kind of appeasement and then a mm. rapprochement with people when the fact they already hate you, there is no appeasement. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing that's operative there is that he's rich and he comes from a, a very wealthy family and he can just move unlike most middle-class people and virtually all, if not all pe people from the lower classes, they just yeah. don't have that opportunity. So if someone set their, their building on fire, they, mm. they're just out of luck. They have to go to a shelter. Did Portland get a, um, an autonomous zone? Yes, yes. <clears throat> it did. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, in so I know Seattle did. I couldn't remember if yes. Portland did. Right. There was one in the summer of 2020 in Seattle, the infamous Chaz, Chaz Capitol yeah. Hill autonomous zone. Then by December of 2020, uh, the Antifa in Portland tried to create their own autonomous zone modeled after Chaz. It was much smaller. They called it RAZ, R-H-A-Z, Red House Autonomous Zone. It was centered around this house um, in in yeah. North Portland. They had booby traps set up. The whole, the whole road was just blocked off, uh, the whole street. Uh, it went on for a few weeks, and the city just, like during the riots, just allowed it to go on, and then it eventually fizzled out because of, you know, it, infighting and issues that always happen with these uh, far left groups. Was anyone murdered in it, like in the Chaz? No, I, right. I don't. I don't no. think so. There were rumors of unreported rapes and assaults, mm. but I don't think anybody was murdered. No, nobody was killed at the Portland Tunnel. Right. It's too small. Right. Okay, and uh, so the local government was just totally permissive of all this, right? It was, but uh, maybe the confusion about the murder uh, comes from the fact that there was a murder during the summer of 2020 in Portland. Yeah. That was the murder of a Trump supporter by self-described 100% Antifa. Those were his words on his manifesto. Yeah. He was shot. He shot the Trump supporter in downtown Portland after one of the during one of the Antifa riots then fled out of state to Washington State, close to Olympia. So this is the guy who got a favorable interview with Vice Magazine. That's right, when he was on the run. Yes. And nobody knew who he was. Yeah. He gave, uh, well, journalists at Vice knew where, where this fugitive was. Yeah. He died in a shootout with police. And it. I wrote about this in my book, but there were mm. multiple instances where he had been actually arrested mm. by law enforcement in the state of Oregon and was just let out, he, mm. including at one of the riots a number of weeks before he went on to, to murder somebody. He ha illegally had a firearm right, right. and he was just let out. I mean, that, that this was a, the big issues. Riots were happening every night. 
hundreds of people were being arrested every week, and the cases were just dismissed or dropped this, and this as is a, a matter of policy right. by the prosecution. This is very, very important. Mm. So my whole life, I've just assumed that everybody's just going to do the job and their system's going to plug along, right? Sure. The police are going to arrest criminals. The court is going to, the judiciary is basically going to say, are they innocent? Are they guilty? Sure. The, the penal system is going to imprison and the probation system is going to mitigate that, mediate that. When any branch of that breaks down, the whole system collapses. And I just always took it for granted. So in the beginning of the riots in particular, there were not a lot of prosecutions. And I think that's what uh, alienated many of the police because they were arresting people and the district attorney. And I think he's changed his tune. We could talk about that. Mike Schmidt was simply not prosecuting people. And that mm. gave the the entire city the feeling of lawlessness, right? That's a good reason And it emboldened people. They just didn't, they did, knew that nothing was going to happen to them. But city council actually um, took measures to specifically make law enforcement less effective during the riots. For example, banning them from cooperating with federal law enforcement. They actually passed resolutions. Portland police could not cooperate in any way with the federal law enforcement. And remember, Trump was in office at yes. the time, and Ted so Wheeler, he him, is, yeah. a, is, a, is a leftist. Yeah. And uh, the far left also engaged in lawfare. They're very good at that. So yeah. they sued uh, the Portland police, accusing them of using excessive force. So then, uh, I mean, what's happened is that law, Portland police are, are banned from using tear gas and impact munitions. Right. So the only tools they have now to respond, well, for a long time now, to respond to the riots was uh, batons and pepper spray. Right. And you're dealing with a mob of hundreds and thousands. Yeah. Yeah. So then they actually did really, it was very clear, they pulled back after a number of months mm. from responding. I don't know if... I speculate that that was an official reaction to basically them not mm -hmm. having any tools. But then that's, this is why it went on for so long. If you ask me, how do you have riots that go on that long? It's because it was completely, the rioters were able to act with impunity. Mm. Also, the far left rioters. Yeah, I was, I was going to say about the far left thing, because the, the, that's the other side of the question, right? Because there's one thing, the authorities not cracking down on massive violent riots, right? There's, that's one thing, smashing up innocent people's property and all this sort of stuff. But there's also got to be a motivating force to make people go out and riot in the first place. And it's worth talking about that, isn't it? Like, what is motivating them for 120 days straight to go out and riot? Well, ostensibly, it was for racial justice because of George Floyd. Yeah. But it was an opportunity for violent anarchists, narcissistic extremists and, and communists to have a free-for-all in mm -hmm. public. Uh, there was a study that was just published in, uh, I think, the, the, the journal is Current Psychology, and it's a quantitative study looking at personality traits of uh, political extremists, mm -hmm. and one, according to the uh, academic uh, authors of this uh, article, they found that um, narcissistic and violent psychopathy traits are predictors of also having mm. far left extremist views. This is completely unsurprising to any of us yeah, who's been covering yeah. this. It's nice to see there's at least now some, some science academic to, yeah. research um, 
to back that up. But yeah, so, you know, you had ideologues that were spearheading a lot of the organizing and you had a lot of riffraff who showed up, including homeless people. These were kind of like, these were a lot of the people who arrested basically the fodder, the people who just Mm -hmm. showed up, were given the explosives to throw, given the weapons to use. And if they were arrested and on the rare chance uh, prosecuted, the people behind them would never be exposed. Mm. And they'd also be people to like pay their bail and things like that, assuming it came to that. So you can see how in the case of Portland, the entire system seems to actually be set up to encourage and facilitate the rioters. You you only need one facet of the system to not work. Mm. That's all you need for the breakdown of the system. Because going going back to your... um, Your assumption that, well, the system will just work, right? The people within it will just do what they're expected to do. Naive assumption now. Well, is it naive? Because, I mean, normally the people within an institution work towards the internal goal of the institution. Correct. You know, the the justice system, people are working to get to what they believe to be a just conclusion. In the university, they want educated people. Ah, So There's an internal goal to the institution, and it's not unreasonable or naive mm -hmm. to think that the people involved will be working towards that goal. Okay, so would you want to take that? Go ahead, go ahead. Well, there are many ways to look at it. Here's one way to look at it, is that diversity, equity, and inclusion are universal solvents, Mm. and they destroy everything they touch. Mm. And one of the consequences is the mission of institutions change, Mm. and they change from doing what they're supposed to be doing, arresting criminals, prosecuting criminals, incarcerating criminals, adjudicating, or what have you. It it changes to to an equity-based system. So, for example, racial sentencing, Mm. uh, uh, racial hiring among police. And and once the North Star of the institution is lost, the the primary mission, Mm. it just goes off mission. Yeah, it gets an external goal. It it has another goal, and both of those goals... I mean, how how do you how does one hierarchically prioritize when there's a when those goals are in competition? So that's one way to look at it. Mm-hmm. There there are two others, but I would argue that in 2020 and in and before that, during the Trump years, that the actions of the the violent street thugs, whatever they organized under, was in line actually with the Democrat establishment mm-hmm. in places like Oregon and Washington State. Not entirely. I mean, Antifa believe in actually literally overthrowing the state. Yeah. However, Antifa and BLM were very useful as sort of street thugs in enforcing violently, uh, basically Democrat orthodoxy around social See, yeah, justice beliefs. Do you disagree well, with that? Um, well, no, I, I think that's completely true. There's, there's a kind of um, a sort of river of principles that they're all operating they're all sailing down, right? They all agree that they want social justice, racial equality, sexual equality, See, liberation, all that sort yeah, of thing. Let me pick, let me pick a ball with, bo- with both things you have said. I don't... So, yes, I'll give it to you that that's primarily found among Democrats, but that's a value that's parasitized itself on onto traditional democratic institutions. I mean, that's not the value of the old leftist. I mean, I'm just thinking about anecdotally about my father or the people in his generation. Mm -hmm. And if you said, hey, there are these people who are going to be rioting. What do you think should happen to them? You don't know if they have a good reason for rioting or not. You know, 
blue collar Democrat. People, he would say, well, like, well, what do you mean? What should happen? But you're talking them? about the average Democrat voter. I'm talking about the elected yes, Democrat Yes, I'm talking about the average Democrat look, voter. Look at city council. Let's just focus on Oregon. City. Look at who is in city council Julian and Hardesty. what they said. Uh, what and at the county level, and then at the state level, yeah, our yeah, senators, yeah. Our, our lawmakers at the time. What but they, no, I'm talking about the the voter <laughs> on the street, like this somebody who's been a blue collar Democrat. So I, I think I see exactly the issue here, right? Because this this seems to be the the ideological capture of the elites yeah. against the interest of the base, mm. right? Because we have very much the same sort of thing in in Britain with the Labour Party, which is it, it, honestly it's almost a carbon copy of what's happening in America with the Democrats. As in the the Labour Party would have lower class, working class people who would be considered to be socially conservative. They weren't ideological socialists. Right. They just wanted to make sure that their interests were represented because they didn't want to be exploited by big business, by international corporations, by the state itself, by aristocracies, whatever it is. Uh, because, you know, they work hard, they pay their taxes, they expect law and order, they're decent, hardworking people. They they aren't woke progressives, right? Woke progressives are very much a new and different phenomenon Correct. to what they would call in, say, our father's generation, socialism, right? It's not the same thing. Um, and this ideology captures the elites. It weaponizes the institutions against these very people. And that's why in Bre yeah. for Brexit, for example, yeah. the North ended up voting for the Conservative Party because the North was socially conservative. And what that means in England is uh, sovereignty. They want to be away from the European Union. Whereas all of the middle classes, the educated middle classes, don't understand why the working classes see this as a vote in their own interests. You know, the, 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 the votes keep the power closer to where they are. And this this schism has been just unbelievably open here. So, uh, so here's the, the other thing that happened since George Floyd. I think two other factors are operative. Mm -hmm. One, I think you, you see a version of the Ferguson effect. Mm -hmm. And so police officers will not arrest. Uh, in fact, I was just in New York City before I came to, to the island here. And a bunch of... Uh, transit police were standing around in in, in New York, uh, and um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. Um, I just know no politic way to say this. African Americans were just jumping the turnstile. Sure. I mean, they would just jump in mass, yeah. and the transit police were literally right. And I was just watching the transit police talk among themselves and watch them, mm. and. I do think that there is a concern, and I've spoken to police officers about this, that they don't want to be perceived as being racist. Completely. That, and I'm not, I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm not justifying they're not. I'm just saying that this is a phenomenon, and I think you see the large-scale George Floyd effect. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, not George Floyd. Ferguson effect. Uh, uh, yeah. Ferguson effect, excuse me. Well, and officers don't want to be put in a situation where – an unpredictable hmm. suspect then makes them be the next uh, Derek Chauvin. Right. Hmm. And I mean, I mean, that's quite an ex extreme outcome. But even before that, you can see what happened. No, but it's with, the threat of that, right? Yeah. People. Or, or even much more threat. mild, like that um, that New York hospital worker who oh, these the black bike. these black youths yeah. were yeah. trying to take away the bike that she had purchased. Yeah. And then she was then and her family were hounded as the racist and targeted yeah. by probably thousands of people online through these mm. social media campaigns. And then that, that was an instance where the, she was a victim mm. of a, a attempted crime. And I think that 
and I can't speak to how it is here. I just learned today that you said the African American, the black population is three percent in this country. Yeah. And, and yeah, and so I think that there is these equity-based initiatives and and mm. Americans' mind on equity. Everybody is so hyper racially conscious right now, yeah. and I think that 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 bleeds through the system. But the, the, what what I was getting at though is the the sort of traditional blue voters. They're going to be um, people who view law and order as a process, right? Okay. They 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 view right. the act of jumping the turnstile yeah. as the act itself is criminally punishable, right? And so they will be like, well, I don't really care who does it. That person has to be punished. Whereas the the people in charge now are looking at spreadsheets and they're looking at disparate outcomes and will say, well, the act itself isn't actually very important. What's important is that we have an equality here or else there is racism and the system itself is corrupt. Okay. So this is to me one of the most fascinating turns of the last few years that nobody talks about. Mm. And that is how arresting rioters, if I say I believe people who riot and destroy whatever they want to destroy, for, whether for good reason or bad, if you're rioting in a U.S. city, I think you should be arrested. Sure. The narrative then becomes you're a conservative or you're a Republican. Well, and that to me is fascinating. Which I think that speaks is to the totally ahistorical. It's the, yeah, but it shows the shift to the left and the capture of the ideology. And I, I, there's, there's on, on the right at the moment, there's a big discussion about managerialism and the very nature of it. And if you read James Burnham's The Managerial Revolution, you, you end up with this kind of idea that actually this was kind of inevitable, right? Because the proliferation of data through society. And the strength of the state at the moment, uh, which is totally supported by the left, even when they claim not to support it, um, it kind of makes it inevitable that the people at the top will say, well, look, we have all of these, like the, the sort of managerial tools that Hitler would have been envious of, right? <laughs> like, like we, we have to edit that out. No, no, no I'm just no, kidding. No. Go ahead. You know, go but ahead. I'm not yeah. joking, but yeah. no, it's I know, funny, I know. but it's true, I know, right? I know. It, you know, Hitler or Mussolini, any totalitarian dictator in yeah. the 20th century would be like, God, if only I had that you know, yeah. level of information, yeah. level of being able to monitor people, cameras on every corner, you know, the, the data that electronically comes in about like what you eat, where you go, it's all on your phone. It's all trapped on the grid. It all comes together. And if, You've got this in God knows what kind of spreadsheets, all of this laid out. Well, it's inevitable that you'll end up with a kind of managerial philosophy to go with mm. it. Because actually you see yourself as like the director of society. So now we need to stop people smoking because too many people are dying of lung cancer. It's like, well, it's not unjust, actually. They chose to smoke. They enjoyed their smoking. They got lung cancer. They yeah, died. And those are the, the social credit, the critics of the social credit. Exactly. And you end up with this need for a managerial philosophy. And then wokeism comes along and says, well, actually, we've got the perfect managerial philosophy. Yeah. That is, it's ultimately moral. You know, no one is on the side. No one's pro-racism. And so, no, I'm, I, no one's pro-sexism. No one's pro any of the bad things that we're told uh, that come as a consequence of the sort of natural and organic moving in society that people do. Right. And so if you're a manager, You've got a series of spreadsheets where it's uneven distributions. The only explanation you have for those is racism, because, of course, having a different explanation is racist in and right. of itself. It, 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 no, the only explanation is it's not it's racism, it's systemic racism. It's the well, system. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. It's, right. it's, yeah, yeah. And, then, and then once you get that, then you can change words accordingly. And if you're in Houseless, charge of the system. minoritize, yeah. But if you're in charge of the system, you're like, yeah, great, I can just change the system. And so if part of the system is arresting black people for jumping over turnstiles, you can 
rationalize any kind of reason why well hang on a second if we do that that's going to increase the black people in prison and that's yeah. that's bad for my columns so we can't have that you know so they have to be let go because yeah, they're and, black and and there's something about the system of policing in certain neighborhoods that lead to those outcomes absolutely right and then when you ask the people on the ground go yeah. to the black communities and say would you like more or less police they say more yeah. every time yeah. almost 90 you know yeah, yeah. say more and Th so that I, that data is in we just did a podcast with him matt thornton's the gift of violence and one of the things that he says in that book that i thought was so interesting is that men you, you can one can dislike this fact but this is a fact mm -hmm. men have d radically disproportionate uh rates of contact with the police but no one says the police is anti-male mm. everyone knows that men are more violent right it's not so wrong the reason that. that police are in certain neighborhoods it's not and i'm not saying every police officer is it, it, every it's police not, officer is anti-male right right it's it, it's not that they're harboring Some of best friends are men <laughs> it's not that they're harboring an animus against people in those communities yeah. it's that that's where the more of the crime occurs yeah. and the consequences of pulling out those police is that the crime in those neighborhoods will increase and the people who are hurt, it's not me. It's no. not middle-class white guys. No, it's, it's the black It's community. the people in those neighborhoods. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have the national data from the increases uh, across the U.S. in urban areas of uh, homicides yeah. uh, following 2020. Correct. And that, that's why now they have to attack the moral legitimacy of the categories themselves. The fact that you think it's wrong to live in a high crime neighborhood is white pri white privilege, white supremacy. This is, and this is what they like timekeeping. All of these things, like anything that yeah. is the notion of an yeah. inequality between these groups, that now has to be attacked. Yeah, okay, as so, a legitimate category so, of bigotry in and of itself. So I, I just had a conversation with our mutual friend Heather McDonald, and she goes through those statistics, and they are horrifying. Yeah, and they're horrifying, and that gets back to an earlier point of when I, this was a, a light bulb for me. When I asked her, why do you think so many people are callously indifferent to the meritocracy? They're just willing to throw the meritocracy away. And she told me based upon her most recent book and a little bit from her former book, The Diversity Delusion, that people don't understand the disparity. Mm -hmm. Those disparities are are they're not trivial they're vast like sat scores mcat scores any standardized test scores and so they think that well we can do away with certain features of the uh, how we've come to uh, merit is the, is the only way so we can do away with that because ultimately you're going to produce an equitable outcome but what they don't understand is that those disparities are so great that people won't be able to fulfill the functions in, in, of their jobs and actually do their duties because they're not qualified for the requisite positions. Mm. Does that make sense? No, totally. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's one of those things that we were talking about this earlier. This is going to have knock-on effects in services. You know, Things are just going to start failing, and there won't be the people around who can explain why they're failing. That's not going to be good. Yeah. Did you used to have those commercials when um, somebody – popped an egg in a pan and said, your brain on drugs? Yeah. Oh, you had those over Well, I'm, I'm aware. We had something like it. Oh, okay. I'm aware well, of those. I would argue it's like your brain on equity, right? Once your brain is on equity, you, mm. your perceptual filter, the lens through which you make ethical and moral judgments is just becomes completely skewed. Like it becomes so utterly divorced from reality that you start making choices that um, 
that the when you don't have the consequences of reality and you're viewing things mm -hmm. through an ideological filter, you become further and further removed from the truth. And so yeah. if you do that long enough, planes are just going to fall out of the air. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the pilots won't even know why they're bad pilots. Yeah, pe people will not be able to fulfill their duty. And institutions will not be able to fulfill their missions yeah. because something other than making good beer, for example, is... And then if it comes to questions of rights and like positive right entitlements, right. well, if the institutions can't fulfill those positive rights, and who wins? Ah, so yeah. if, I, if I may have just one, one more second. So in a normal sane universe... The corrective for this would be a discussion. I, I would say conversation, but if you want to say debate, you know, you have a sure. let the crucible of ideas go. That's fine too. I'm fine. But that would be the normal way that you would figure out, well, should we have an equity-based policy? Should, what, what kind of hmm. public policy should we be institutionalizing or at least instituting? But the people who are advocating for the policies themselves believe that there's something in the tools the traditional tools that we've used to figure out how, how what policies to enact that are themselves racist. Yeah. So you can't use a racist tool to achieve an anti-racist or non-racist outcome. So you have to switch to another tool set like lived experience. Yeah, which is so, why they want to get rid of the police. It, like it, the, the police themselves, the very notion of law and order, right. it, becomes a tool of white supremacy. And capitalism. And, and that's, capitalism. The, that's the other thing on their, yeah. their target. So... Yeah. So the normal ways to figure out problems, they've removed the tool set from us. And they don't have any replacements either. Well, well, other than, than lived experience. But the but, question is, how do you, if someone says something is in their lived experience and someone else says who has some identity level characteristic, you know, identity characteristic says, well, that's not in my lived experience. There's no way to figure out if that's true. But it, it does it. I mean, that's that's correct. But what I mean is, um, for any problem that comes up, if you've got a constructive solution, then okay, fair enough. You know, maybe we can abandon the traditional method of doing it. But if you don't have a constructive method, right. I mean, the, the, you know, we defund the police, crime goes through the roof. But yeah. did you want more crime? Yeah, the, there's, well, no, there's, now we've got to attack the very notion of it being crime. Yeah, the, there's you one know? other problem, and I hate to throw the conversation in a meta level, but mm. the only reason, the only way you could know that at all is to use the tools to evaluate the very tools. Mm. So it would be like it would be like someone saying, "Well, I have a crystal crystal ball here, and this crystal ball is better than the scientific method." Well, the only way you could assess the accuracy of the crystal ball and its efficacy is to use the scientific method to see if it did what it said it could do. <laughs> and the same thing is true with yeah. the tools. You just can't get away from the fact that dialogue, discourse. Scientific adequacies, the scientific method, epistemic adequacy. You just cannot get around the fact that these are the tools that we have to rely upon to construct societies. Now, you can say, well, we can construct societies, but we need to have a different set of values. Hmm. But even if you say that, you still need the tools to figure out if those are the values that you should enact. Hmm. I mean, and the, the only alternative then is to step fully into the world of faith. And so you're, you're, you're fully- There's one other alternative. You just pick up a gun and start shooting people. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, but even then, it's the world of faith that's going to win that because they're going to be the ones who can rally the largest right. force, right? It's it's going to be people who, someone who will say there's some sort of prophet, you know, here's a divine revelation. God is telling me this. When it moves enough hearts through whatever theological motivation it has, yeah. then then you get the crusade, you know. But it's it's... It's what we're staring down the barrel of. It's genuinely the end of liberal democracy, and I think that's actually what they wanted. Yes, that's ex yes, that's explicitly their goal. Yeah, think, that's why think, they call it this. Is why Wesleyan calls it the successor ideology. Hmm. 
to successor liberalism. It's not bloody good, is it? It's happening in the most like affluent places in America, right? Yeah, and even it's worse, it's being exported to you and to the yeah, rest of the Anglosphere yeah. and the rest of the world. I mean, it, it, it's mm -hmm. there's something about it that I genuinely find repugnant is the assumption of kind of uh, moral infallibility. Yes. It really annoys me. In, in the individual, though. Excellent. Right? Yeah. I really hate this. It's like the individual can't really do anything wrong. It's the Rousseauian view that society made them evil. It's yeah. like, I don't care. You know, if society made them evil, then we've at least agreed that they're evil. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually very old English in my morality. Uh, evil things should be punished mm. very harshly, uh, actually. So, you know, flog them. That's, that's but they, they wouldn't even, even admit no, that, they, they, they uh, that that person is evil. Yeah. They would, they would say, I'm a big victim. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're a victim, but they're not just a victim. They're a victim of the system. Yeah. Yes, that, that was the narrative from the trans activists after mm. the Nashville trans mass shooting. They held a direct action protest at the uh, Tennessee State Capitol. Do you remember the video where they held up seven yeah, fingers? Yeah, and I'm thinking about the Day of Vengeance. Sorry, no, what was the video where they held up seven? I didn't, I missed that. So uh, days after the mass shooting, so there were six victims, three right. children and three staff of the right. school. And then the, the shooter was yeah, also I'm, killed I'm, by police. Sorry, yeah. So there are six victims. Yeah. Uh, the, oh, the trans activists right. held up a moment of silence and they held up seven fingers so the victims. shooter was one of the victims Being, yes so the trans activists viewed the uh the shooter the killer the ma mass murderer yeah as a victim in some of the statements they put out on social media but some of the trans activist groups also mm -hmm. alluded to this that uh audrey was well they didn't use that name but uh that, Aiden, wasn't it the, yeah, yeah was a, a, a victim of transphobic society okay so let's just take a step back Every single thing he said, if you're a sane person and you were listening to that, yeah. you are complete, can I swear? No. You are completely freaked out yes. by that. And a consequence of being freaked out by that is, one of them is, I cannot live with these people. Yeah, absolutely. And a consequence of that, if enough people start saying that, they think we need a national divorce. Yeah. That's how insane this is. Yeah. And that's why you see the Republicans talking about this all the time. And I'm like, really, you're going to concede half your country yeah. to these maniacs, are you? Yeah. And the Republicans seem to be like, well, yeah, I just want them away from me. It's like, uh, I'm, I, I hate to say it, but you guys are going to have to get into like crusading mode, yeah. right? You need to go and conquer these areas, drive these lunatics out, and make sure they never hold public office again. You know, get a ground game, get get your guys in, elected. It's not impossible. It can happen. That's what they're doing to you. You've got to go and do it back. But for some reason, the Republicans are just... Institu I mean, institutional capture, large scale institutional capture. It's, it's not just that. It's not just that. There's there's some there's some kind of fear in the conservative, not not necessarily like there, there's like this sort of the Christian nationalists, right, who want to do that. Yeah. But for some reason, like the Republicans who are reasonable people are actually kind of afraid of just legislating against the left. And it's like, no, no, like Ron DeSantis is a great example who's actually willing to do it. Right? Mm -hmm. Just go and do it. Just no, ban, ban, ban. You don't get to do this. You know, we're in charge. For, we're legitimately in charge. You don't get to do it. And, but for some reason, conservatives in, in this country in particular, but it's, it's still across large amounts of America, I think, are just kind of afraid of declaring war. And it's like, no, these people, if you can't tell, have declared war on you. Like, if this isn't a war. Well, the American right has this, well, and also the British conservative yeah. tradition, you know, has this view of uh, respecting yeah. um, the, the autonomy and rights of mm. the, the, the citizen and the individual. 
And so I think sounds quaint, doesn't it? When you say it like the, that, just to just say the GOP, mm. the political philosophy really is about in many ways kind of hand, handicapping themselves, kneecapping themselves. Mm. So the other side, the radicals on on the left, you know, they 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 don't put any, they don't have any principles of which I would to, include to people themselves. like Joe Biden, right? Well, right. I, I would include Joe Biden as a radical on the left. Why? Because of the things he does. I mean, he, he the the first day in office. He literally just sat down and was like, I hate Trump. I'm going to do, undo everything that he did, whether it was a good idea or not. Like canceling the Keystone XL pipeline. What are you doing? You know, there were loads of like gender reforms and stuff like this. He just undoes all of this stuff. I don't think it's so much Biden as more so no, the I, DNC has really been captured by the radicals sure, in, its, but, in its party. But I'm not prepared to let him off the hook, right? Because mm. he is the president. Yes. Ostensibly, he should be in charge, right? So I, I, the institution of Biden then, shall we say, the people who are probably, because obviously, you know, he's 80 years old. He probably goes to sleep at about three in the afternoon. He's not the guy who's really in charge. But the institution that Joe Biden represents, that's the radical left to me. That's an, that's an, and that's an institution at war with the rest of the country. I all mm. I'm always hesitant to get involved in political discussions because I don't want people to think that free speech and open inquiry and no puberty blockers for children, these are right left issues. So I'm I'm always hesitant to put a, a political opinion on the table because I don't I don't want that to make I don't want it to seem like I hold the positions I hold because I'm on the right or left. I hold them because they're evidence based, sure. civilizational based. Go ahead. But but let's just say on the issue that the the being against the medical transitioning of minors, that is a in at least in the US, a partisan position of the right. That I don't be in favor as a partisan yeah, position. I don't of think the left. it should be. I agree with that. It's not in the, in the UK. It's different. I think here it's been really yeah. removed from partisan po politics. Okay. But in the US, it's okay. And if you and if you watch, for example, this is why I disagreed with. I agree with Andy. I don't. I don't think it's it's Biden. If if you watch the second uh, one of the presidential debates with Trump, I think it was the second one. Biden didn't even know the difference between equity and equality. Yeah, no, no. I, I'm Ber not Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, and it's on. I yeah. looked it up. It's on Bernie Sanders' page of his mission, yeah. his pr promises or planks or something. I invite your readers to look it up. Um, he was on Bill, Real Time with Bill Maher. He didn't even know what equity was. Yeah, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying so. These, they don't even know what it is that they're doing. Sure, and I agree. I'm not saying that they are the uh, captains of the ship, yeah. as it were. But as um, political institutions, and Biden and Bernie Sanders, they've got a whole cohort of people, millions of activists. You know, the, uh, an entire structure with them at the top. I mean, if they're incompetent, well, that's just their problem, right? Because that's what they represent uh, and that's yeah. what they're leading. Okay. So, you know? all right. So let me just throw throw something out, not to complicate this, but Kamala Harris would be an example. No, she's totally incompetent. She, she has put out videos on equity that actually show you actually what equity is. That's equity. Yeah. You but, can disagree with it, but that that yeah. is it. And I do disagree profoundly yeah, yeah, disagree obviously. with it. Yeah. But, the, but the point is, I, I don't think it's inaccurate to describe this movement as being at war with non-equity movement, right? So anything they perceive to be outside of uh, the – or non, not conforming to the principles of equity, I think yeah. they would ruthlessly destroy it if given the power. You know, if they were given absolute power, there wouldn't be a Republican Party. It'd be gone. It'd be banned for being racist and white supremacist. Yeah, probably the Republicans well, would say the same thing, though, right? May, say may, that again. I think many of the Republicans would say the same thing. Everybody want, thinks well, that they're this. This is an age, I don't the know age, that. the age in which we live. It's not. It's, yeah. it's not just that people who disagree with you disagree with you. It's that they're existential threats. Yeah. Both Republicans and Democrats, and I don't even mean on the extreme. Um, they they believe that 
that they have some kind of ideological enemy and that people are existential threats. But don't, I, I don't think this is something that the is is intrinsic to the Republicans. I think if this this has come about, this is a new thing, and it's because of a reaction to watching the left. Okay, I'll give okay because like like Andrew was saying, the Republicans seem to be very milquetoast to me and very like well, you know, we've we're fellow Americans, we've got and then this is a, this is a conservative position, it's a traditionally sentimental position. There's so always the, a yeah a the fear law, of growing the state too big. Yeah, 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 and but but also not stigmatizing what should be in this country we call them the loyal opposition right mm. sure we oppose each other but we're all in the same boat and therefore we're all working together really and so we're all you know we, we've just got different opinions right but we're all fellow countrymen and that the 20 years ago the sort of like you know the, the soft republicans thought that but you are seeing a hard streak coming out in the republican fringe now which is like no 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 the left has declared war on us and it's been persecuting us for about the last decade yeah. and actually it's about time we start fighting back because I well, think the, it's fair. In the States, we, we call people who disagree with many of those positions rhinos, Republicans yeah, in name only. Yeah. And so, you, you know, you, th there is no homogenous, well, there is a homogenous block of Republicans, but sure. there's incredible diversity within those blocks. Yeah. Uh, e e and there are kind of quote unquote litmus test issues like abortion mm. and less so death penalty and, and border security. Uh, but mm. this is not a homogenous ideological block of people. No. And it's, yeah, it's a broad tent, right? Yeah. But the Democrats have become an increasingly narrow tent. See, that's the case. That's yeah. exactly right. And the increasingly narrow tent is focusing around that faction that seems to be just waging a war. Yeah. You know, by, by covert or overt means. Yeah. And if you look at what their, what, what is the object of their war, what's informing their beliefs, they're almost all in the orbit of critical social justice ideology. Yeah. Almost everything has yeah. some identity level salience. It's, it's really like, that's why I said before I wrote my first book. Uh, it's it's like it's like Gad Sad talks about this in the parasitic mind. It's been parasitized. Mm. It's like a, a parasite on a traditional belief that's causing it to run into crazy town. And I do think you're right that many of the Republicans have reacted against that craziness yeah. in the same way when I said that that when Andy very clearly articulated that point of view, some people will hear that and they'll just think that this is the most deranged thing I've ever heard. I want nothing to do with this. I, I think that uh, there are large factions of the Democrat leadership that are probably quite comfortable creating essentially a, um, a one-party state. Mm. Because look at, I mean, the reaction to the 6th of January, treating that as an example, as actually uh, being representative of the entire GOP, that the GOP is such a danger. And this is, this is their main talking point. Mm -hmm. um, Trump supporters, and they expanded that to just any Republican, U.S. Republican voters, such a danger to our democracy that they must really kind of be stopped by any means necessary using full force of the law. Mm -hmm. and they did that very, and that messaging was very effective and it's been repeated endlessly. But look at the, the spurious investigations um, into President Trump also to delegitimize de him and try to remove him from office or try to prevent him from running again. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I mean, I am a conservative, I'm not, that much of a partisan figure, really. I don't really care too much about party politics, but I I am really disturbed by how um, how comfortable Democrat institutions are at saying essentially. I mean, their reactions to elections is is always basically that if our side doesn't win, 
democracy's over. democracy ends. Yeah. That's like that's their messaging. Yeah, but the Republicans also have their own kind of craziness. You know, the stolen elections and I mean, I think is that crazy. I that? think yeah, I do. I do think every the every Democrats the kind of people who wouldn't cheat. No, I do think that the the this look. Just I'm going to give you I, no, no. I'm going to give you what we're looking for. The, the the left is largely ideologically captured by a completely deranged ideology. Mm. But that doesn't mean that the Republicans don't have their institutionalized foibles would be the most politic way yeah, to say yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? absolutely. Um, and so I think that there's a danger in seeing, well, because these people are complete lunatics, then the people fighting the complete lunatics must have some kind of uh, you know, moral, or maybe they do have moral clarity, but they must, th their own, they they're not, they're not subject to, to they problems have their own themselves. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. and I agree. Yeah. Um, and actually what, one thing that I've noticed is that there's a more sort of articulate right that's coming to the fore now. Like can DeSantis, actually, you say? Yeah, no, 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 no. DeSantis is, um, an effective, uh, man yeah. legislating an office, but actually oh. he's not a brilliant communicator. Vivek Ramaswamy, is that who you're going to say? I'm not familiar with him. Oh. Who are you uh, going to say? Who, who are well, you there, there are lots of people. I mean, Douglas Murray is a good example, oh. but obviously he's kind of an international figure. Yeah. But this this, this kind of, um, there's kind of an, an articulate intellectual right that's starting to appear that's beginning to actually explain, no, 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 look, there are things about being a conservative that are intellectually and morally valid, and we can explain why that is yeah. in concrete terms, right? Because a lot of the time, I mean, Donald Trump is a great example where he will do conservative and patriotic things. I know he doesn't understand why he does them, right? He can't give you like a Burkean reason or, you know, anything like that, but he does the right thing and it turns out in the right way. Okay, right? you do get that, uh, sorry, sorry. You, you do get that from the old leftists. You don't get that mm -hmm. from, from, I mean, you used to get that from, uh, who's the guy who, who leaned right on his chair? Um, William F. Buckley, yeah. you know, you, you do get, so. But I don't, I don't know if I'd call him a conservative. Uh, I would call him a Republican. And Republicans, in my opinion, are not conservatives. They're classical liberals. Um, and this is the this is one of the problems with Americans is actually the entire thing's an ideological project. Mm. And I say this because I'm an Englishman and I'm not part of an ideological project. Mm. Uh, so I actually have a different frame of reference. And when I say conservative, I mean Scrutonian types, mm. right, who, mm. who will give you a properly, like a deep sentimental view of what a conservative nation actually is and that they're, they're finally finding a voice because actually these things becoming really important like the feelings of belonging you know why are you here why are you where you are who are the mm. people around you do you love any of them do you love the place in which you live and you can't say that about portland like they clearly don't love the place in which they live and that's i awful. don't know anybody who, who does do you know a single person who doesn't want to leave mm, i mean you see you know whenever there are these reports about uh, public safety issues in Portland, you, you get those leftists who say, well, you know, our community is great. And they list out all the other things about why they think Portland is, is wonderful. So at least on social media, you see that. I mean, I, I, I would, they will say that, but they'll probably appeal to the fact that Portland is diverse and progressive, right? Portland, Portland is one of the least diverse places I know. In, in the United States. <laughs> I know. But, the, but the, so the the sort of leading figures of the sort of articulate conservative movement, I'd say a, a great example is Tucker Carlson, right? He is able to actually articulate like authentically conservative, pre-political pre concerns in a very just straightforward, frank way that is not in any way bigoted. It is, but uh, but genuinely captures the real emotions that people feel. That's the sort of, you know, that's the kind You're of- You're saying he's like a conservative populist? No, I'm saying he's, I mean- 
No, because because he's not a like a Scruton figure. I mean, he's no, not he a is. Douglas Myers figure. Yeah, oh, how he, so? He's definitely got Scrutonian uh, instincts in his the way. I mean, the way he views the world. He views Americans as his fellow countrymen, right? They're not just interchangeable citizens. Yeah, you know, these aren't like it, he views it more mythologically and aesthetically. These are named individuals with lives, with with connections, with an authentic claim to these things. Yeah, and I can't speak to that. I know I've been on Tucker, you've been on Tucker, but I can't, I can't speak I've to that. I've watched a lot of his shows. Oh, have you? Like, okay. he, yeah, he was the only thing on Fox News I watched, right? Because, I mean, everyone else is just kind of a boilerplate Republican. Mm. But you can tell that Tucker comes from a a richer tradition than mm. that. And he, he, he speaks in words that have got more connotations, mm. right? Whereas you get someone like Sean Hannity, they'll use very thin okay, Republican so he's, language. Yeah, he's a, a zero. Yeah. Frankly. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm not a fan of really any of them. But but you could tell with Tucker he was thinking in a more romantic way about what it was to be a mm. human being. And this is the sort of deep, rich language that conservatives should be using. And this is starting to actually emerge. And I think, honestly, that's the reason that he got kicked off Fox News, because he was prepared to say things in a particular way that actually kind of invalidated not just the left, it kind of invalidated the GOP. Mm. And just before he got kicked off, you saw he was giving a speech. He was like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not part of the GOP. I saw that. And Because yeah. they are essentially the same sort of rationalistic social contract mm. theory construction as the left. They're, they're basically arguing in the same territory. And Tucker's like, I, I want to be more human, right? I want more human relations, more human contact, more human concerns, rather than ideological concerns. Mm. And that's all the GOP and the left really have. Mm. And so it, it's something new is emerging. And this is what I was talking about when we were having a chat before, this kind of sentimental view of the world. Um, and I, I th I'm genuinely quite excited about it because – if nothing else, we can see that what the left has been offering doesn't work. It doesn't provide meaning. It doesn't provide belonging. When you say the left, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, the, 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 the discourse around rights and entitlements, right? Well, the left has historically been right about a lot of things. They've been right about civil rights. They've been right about uh, gay rights. They've been right about – they've been on uh, – they actually have been on the right side of history uh, – uh, more frequently, and I, I, I think when we talk about the left, it's careful to mean the left right now is infected and just, it's sick. Just to stop that, I, hmm. it might be too soon to tell, right? That's the problem. Um, obviously, pe nobody should be persecuted, right? Obviously, nobody should be persecuted. You know, I mean, you know, I've never actually. I don't think I've ever been accused of being a homophobe, right? But we Dude, don't. You're know. clearly not a homophobe. But we don't know. You gave Andy a huge hug when you well, came. He's sitting. A, you're clearly yeah, he, not a homophobe. Yeah, but you got you got to understand. To to me, Andy is like a figure in the Iliad, right? Andy is 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 like you know Achilles, you know Patroclus or Diomedes or someone. He's a named individual. Mm. He exists in a firmament, mm. and he will always be Andy No, and he's irreplaceable. He will always be Andy No. You make him want to give him a big yeah, but, hug but this, right now. <gasps> but this, but this is how I feel about everyone that I know. Right? There's no, for, no one's a class to me. Everyone yeah. is a mythological thing right and and there's a great story being played out and i'm the protagonist in my story but you're the protagonist in yours you're the protagonist in yours um and when you wear, weave all of these things together then you have the sort of genuinely conservative view the aesthetic view the mythological view that tucker carlson is trying to appeal to and trying to articulate okay right? so i i'm i but, can't but, speak to the go ahead but what, what i'm saying is you know so obviously i don't want anyone persecuted but like to say well we're on the right side of history with homosexuality it's like it depends by which method, method you judge. If you're judging by questions of liberation and rights and entitlements, yeah. sure. But if your questions are ones of human suffering, 
I can and, 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 uh, then okay. actually know, right? Because gay people die 20 years earlier on mm. average than straight people. Gay people suffer from far more STDs than straight people. Have we really, if we're, if we're talking in terms of human suffering, now that's not every single gay person, and I'm not suggesting that anything should be done to gay people or something like that, but the, the, the problem is we, we are... We have a monomaniacal view of how to address this. And actually, there are loads of other ways of anal analyzing the situation. Like, What's the this in that sentence? Well, the, the whether, whether we have liberated gay people from oppression, yeah. right? Sure. But are they happy? Do they have friends? Do they have families? Do they have close relationships? I think, are they healthy? Well, actually, let's ask Andy. Well, no, well yeah, sure. And, and Andy's, you know, obviously. Because I have. But Andy's I'm, a conservative person, right? You know, I imagine that Andy lives a conservative life as a conservative, right? But but that's not most gay people. And I, th I think that actually if you were to look at, say, depression rates in the gay community, I bet you find them way higher than in other communities, like the straight community, right? And so, it, like, again, through the doctrine of uh, rights and liberation, sure, we're on the right side of history, but from the doctrine of are they happy people? Okay, but I, that's... I, go ahead. Uh, so uh, are you saying that you think that uh, on average, gay people in society would would be happier if they were closeted. No, I'm not I don't saying... mean to straw straw men, but no. I, I'm trying to just simplify. No, what what, what I'm what I'm saying is, is, I don't think that the people in the past had the right way of dealing with gay people. Obviously, right? Mm -hmm. And I th I think that the the Enlightenment has, and it's very justified in its own time to say, look, oppressing people isn't good, is it? Right, obviously. Uh, and it, it, you can see why, given the sort of post-feudal societies they came out of, that the concerns of the social contract theorists were all, like me, Rousseau, man's born free and everyone is in chains. Well, what are the chains? The chains are the ranks of society, right? And the, these were very thick, very heavy. And I can see totally why in that time and place, it seemed this, this is justified to break these bonds. But actually, if your doctrine is predicated on the idea of breaking bonds then all you can do is break, 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 until suddenly there are no bonds left. And then you realize, actually, human beings can be oppressed by those bonds, but also they need those bonds to exist. You're talking about happy. the logical conclusion of um, the, the basically this philosophy. Yeah, and, right? and we're arriving at it. We're arriving at it. We've got, and it's not just gay people, like Zoomers. Zoomers are like, like half of them are sexless. You know, in the mid twenties, never had sex. I'm thinking, my God, all I did when I was in my mid twenties is chase sex, right? I was, you know, constantly trying to get women. You know, I'm sure you were like in your, in your you know, youth, because um, we're we're of the same generation. But yeah. it's a totally different world. They're, they're, you know, most of them only have like you know one or two good friends, if that. Yeah. Like a lot of them feel genuinely lonely. They don't feel like they belong anywhere. But they've got all the rights and all the freedom in the world, right? And so. From the, the doctrine of rights and rights and freedoms, okay, okay, great, they've got everything they want, Every, and yet they're miserable. Okay, go ahead. Uh, ju just um, to add, I think uh, that the craziness we're seeing right now in the culture wars around the, the trans ideology is a complete logical uh, conclusion of the arguments that were mainstreamed for well, gay rights or same-sex marriage, actually, because a lot of the, the messaging and how, how it was simplified to the mainstream was essentially that men and women are, are interchange interchangeable and that love is love. You apply that mm. just a bit further, then it's like, well, what difference does it really make if an individual identifies as man, woman, neither, and yeah. switches back and forth anyways? It is kind of the same. It, it is. It's on the same track.
And I think that that is, um, you know, as a gay person, I, I, I'm very thankful and indebted to the gay rights activists of prior generations who have worked so hard to uh, make the lives of people like myself um, safe and having our rights um, protected in, in equality under law, et cetera. But I, I do think that there were certain, there were safeguards that should have been put in place in sort of some of these beliefs that just weren't, no one, well, and nobody, you know, thought about where, where it would be taken in. And there's no reason they should five, have done 10, 15 either, years. Right. Cause they're, they're operating, say you, you know, you're gay in the 1950s. Yeah. A, a gay, a gay liberation movement is a totally justifiable thing. Right. But we've got to the point now where, I mean, the, the excesses of the gay community are on the streets, right? And during pride marches, and they're not very wholesome or respectable. And so there must be some kind of way of saying, look, maybe we don't want to persecute gay people, but also maybe we could have a, a measure of respectability where gay people actually feel like they've got an obligation to wider society, right? Rather than standing there, no, my right is to walk down the street naked, with, covered in dildos, you know, throwing fake spunk out everywhere. Well, maybe it is your right. You know, but I don't want to see that. And why should I have to see that? You're, you're showing me no respect. There's no deference to the wider society at all. And that's not really, I think, what the gay people in the 1950s were arguing for, right? And so there must be, and, and also another thing is like the, the oppression of gays seems to itself have been an ideological stance, right? It seems to have come from a deeply Christian ideological position. Well, I'm not a Christian, right? Well, Which I, is, by the way, primarily Republican position. At least it was 30, sure, well, sure. up until very, very recently. But, there, but Well, yeah, but there are also other interpretations of Christianity that don't necessarily, it's hate the sin, but love the sinner, right? So it's not all the gay people need to be hurt, or they get suppressed or whatever. They need they need to be helped, maybe, so I, or you I, know, tra talk to or whatever. But like, I think I think there's a conflation of issues here between policies that Republicans have en enacted, and mm -hmm. this is in my lifetime. I mean, we're sure. not talking like a hundred years ago. I'm fifty six, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so th there's just there is a fundamental difference. And the discussion started when I said. Uh, and I hate the term right side of history because it's been used almost exclusively with trans it's issues and as an accusation. But right, the, the right side of history, you can actually, to a certain extent, figure that out when it's you know, 20, 30 years, 40 years be, beyond a particular point, whereas the trans ideology is still playing itself out. I do think that traditionally Democrats have been on the right side of history with, for example, what I started saying with gay rights or... I'm against this. What, what what is the it, Fun, this? fundamentally the 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 very concept of the right side of history? I, I don't believe it. I don't believe in weak history because you think it's cyclical. You I think? do believe it's cyclical. Yeah. Okay. Well, then there would be no right side of history. No. But it is panned out right now that the umbrella of rights has extended to minorities, homosexuals. Mm -hmm. Now even it's being extended to to animals to a certain sure. extent. And I think that those extensions were good. And those. The, the extension of that umbrella of rights was primarily uh, on the part of uh, U.S. Democrats. Sure, but the society's falling apart. Uh, you'll get no argument from me about that. You're saying you're saying that that's a natural consequence of the extension of those rights. It's it's a natural consequence of the excessive focus on rights and zero focus on duties. So, like for example, I don't think there's and any. You're say, I'm sorry, sorry, I have to clarify. No, no, this. And you're saying that then the Democrats have focused on rights and not focused on duties. Can you even imagine a Democrat saying the word duty? No. No, I rest my case. Um, but I, so like, I would think that 
we have no, no contempt con- let me say, contemporary sure, sure, sure. democrats I mean, like, yeah, like fdr or something sure, yeah, yeah. He, he would yeah. i mean uh, J- but, jfk jfk yeah. yeah yeah but yeah in in yeah. in the last 30 years right you can't really imagine it right um but like the i think it's totally fair for a conservative to say look i think that people should be treated fairly and with compassion Right, I think a lot of conservatives would completely agree with that. That was George and, Bush's uh, compassionate yeah. conservative. That and was his so, brand, his moniker. Yeah. Sure. And so if the left didn't exist and a conservative came up to another conservative and said, look, I don't think we should be persecuting Andy No because of his sexuality. I don't think he can change that. And Andy has behaved in a completely respectable way. Then they'd say, well, yeah, it's probably not nice to persecute him. You know, it's probably not right. Yeah. You, you would have to have an ideological position to say, well, God says. Yeah, I, I'll know? just say that I, I have a small... This is, I, I just have to get this done. I hear that argument all the time and I never get it. Like, I never understand this guy is, this is his sexuality, this is her sexual, they can't change it. But even if they could change it, what if, even if somebody could choose who they want to sleep with, who cares? It's like literally nobody's business. Well, uh, yes, but I mean, it's, uh, I don't know if we haven't really got time to get into the much wider conversation of that because then mm-hmm. that logic applies to other people and groups who... I think actually are justly suppressed, right? I'm not. Well, there's there's currently. Are a, you going a, the, to the minor attractive yes. persons thing? Well, that's exactly. Uh, and and because these, these people say, well, look, I can't change my sexuality either. So, well, that's too bad. Right. <laughs> that's bad. You know. Well, the, but the difference in there in that is there's an empirical, hmm. demonstrable harm there. Oh, I agree. Whereas if two two got, you know, Andrew Sullivan. Yeah, no, I, said, I totally agree. With yeah, you. but but the argument still holds up right and so they will make that argument and the person who's arguing from the doctrine of 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 rights is kind of stuck there right so no you're right so so there can be no rights without duties exactly as as famously said and and i do think that democrats have failed wholesale in terms of duties Mm -hmm. unless they've bastardized the concept so much to make certain moral impulses to classify moral impulses as duties. But I yeah. agree with that. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, we're going to have to bring this to a close, but like th- this is, this is what I mean when I, I say that we, if we have a different way of conceiving of the world, like emotionally, I would be concerned if anyone was like, right, we're going to persecute Andy. Right. It doesn't matter the reason really, you know, I don't want to see a friend of mine persecuted. So emotionally I would be, concerned about that not in an abstract way of well you know a threat to justice somewhere anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere it's very abstract no no no. i personally am invested in my friend you know this is a and and i think that's that impulse and the idea that you want to discharge the good if you will Hmm. that impulse is operative in the kernel of all wokeness the problem is that it goes from the kernel of wokeness to protect homosexuals to mm. crazy town right and and w- with no clear lines of demarcation i think it's the concept of liberty it's, it's the liberation of it yeah and I'll, I'll add one more thing to that uh something that i think is extremely important at least in my intellectual life and the work i do is it's cognitive liberty mm. like if somebody hates you know my kids are gay if someone hates my kids for who they are they hate my kids for who they are, right? And so the the solution to that, or if someone hates Andy for who he is, is not to tell people who they can hate or who they can love. It's mm-hmm. you you can't act upon that, right? We sure. have to make laws that you know endanger people or you know physical physical violence against someone. But there's something 
there's a kind of concept creep now that I find really disturbing and that we have people who are convinced that they have the right answers to moral mm. questions and they want to tell other people not just how to live, but how to think. Mm. And I think that there's something particularly pernicious to our democracy when those people take over our institutions. I agree. Which they have. Which is why we're the ones like uh, on the fringes rather than having these conversations on television. And it's also, by the way, why the podcast scene, in my, my, my opinion at least, is so popular mm. and, and it's proliferated so widely mm. and, and you know your views are incredible on this is because I think people can't speak, people feel, and I think they feel this correctly, mm. that they can't speak openly and honestly in university settings. And so mm. one of the places they go is they go to people like you, right? Mm. They want to hear what you have to say well, about things. People like you too as well. I mean, yeah. 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 But, uh, anyway, I think we're going to have to leave it there because you've got go. other yeah. engagements, unfortunately. But uh, and in Peter, man, thanks. Thank you, thank you very much. Thanks for joining me. This has been an amazing conversation. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. Thank you.